Hello, I'm Dave and welcome to the Stand Up Tragedy Podcast. Today we bring you the first of three recordings from our Tragic Beginnings live event that took place at the Hackney Attic on the 17th of January. And now, here's Act One of Tragedy. Hello everybody! Well, we could do a bit better than that, I think. So we're, we're trying out. We're trying out the hello. It's the beginning. It's the beginning, appropriately, of the evening. And so I guess people are feeling a little bit reluctant to sort of like embrace me. Hopefully, by the end of the night, you'll all just be wrapping your arms around me. Although, actually, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, we'll see. Um, anyway, I'm going to try that again. Hello, everybody. Hello. Nice. So, welcome to Stand Up Tragedy. My name's Dave, and I'm your host. Uh, what we do at Stand Up Tragedy is we get people to stand up on stage and do tragedy. Uh, it, it's a variety night, basically, with a, a sad undertone or overtone quite often. Uh, and uh, tonight we are sort of looking at tragedies about beginnings. Tonight is tragic beginnings, uh, which is an interesting thing, really, in terms of tragedy, because... Uh, Tragic, tragedies have tragic endings normally rather than <laughs> tragic beginnings. So I'm thinking that we might end up with much more happier endings maybe if we start sad. So we'll see how that goes. But be prepared for sadness. Be prepared for happiness. Be prepared for feelings and thoughts and all of those sorts of fun things to have. Um, what we are is we're a live show. We're also a podcast. So if you enjoy tonight, you can uh, tell people to have a listen over the next few weeks and there'll be... Uh, Everything that pretty much that you hear tonight will be put out as a podcast. Um, and uh, we are also a, uh, with videoing the, the nights so that we're going to have more video content on, on YouTube as we go along. Um, and we're also doing a fanzine uh, that we're selling for £2. Uh, uh, we've got two, cop- two editions. Um, we've got uh, the Tragic Beginnings one, hot off the presses today. And we've got the one from our, our last show of 2014 which was tragic christmas uh so uh if you want to be reminded of all of that uh you can buy that at the back um classic there dropping dropping my uh, my fanzine on the floor so uh as i said tragic beginnings don't necessarily result in tragic endings and uh basically the other thing we're thinking of this show as is it's about new year that's why we sort of chose this theme uh, so we're relatively close to the new year. Hopefully it's not been a tragic new year for, for all of you. Um, but as I said, tragic beginnings, we can get to something different from there, hopefully. Uh, and we've sort of, we're burst forth after the re- new year with all of these resolutions. And then we find ourselves still in the bleak and dark midwinter, uh, which is where we are now. Uh, so hopefully we can warm ourselves up. In fact, it's quite warm in here, which is uh, a very big contrast to the last uh, show we did, I'll tell you that. So, uh, yeah, we're getting warm, we're getting uh, comfortable together. We're going to go through the tragedy together. And I know that you can, we can all, we'll all be okay if we hold each other's hands and keep each other warm. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I've been thinking about uh, tragic beginnings as being a, uh, sort of, if you start in tragic beginnings, often you can move forwards to a better understanding. Um, and so, what I thought I'd do tonight, as your host, uh, is to share the uh, ten of the worst things that I've ever said with you tonight. Um, 
Because that seems to be like what Tragic Beginnings is about, uh, f- from my point of view. You know, you, you get into a conversation, you try to uh, say the right thing, and you say the wrong thing, and that, there begins a, a terribly awkward moment, which is uh, a regular feature in my life, that kind of thing. Um, so hopefully, uh, this won't be a tragic beginning in terms of you listen to the ten worst things I've ever said, and then you hate me. And then you, uh, then you all storm out of the room and leave, and, and there we go. Because my job as the compare, obviously, is to, to guide you through the night. So the more I alienate you, the worse the night will be. So hopefully, uh, I won't alienate you too much. We'll see. Um, so uh, each of these moments could be said to have uh, been the start of something. Uh, but because of the failure that I, my tragic hero, uh, failure... The, uh, they didn't lead to anything very much, or in fact, they led to sad things. Um, and normally sad things for other people, not for me, because that's unfortunately the way these things go. Uh, and I've been thinking that like, a tragic beginning is something terrible that happens that can't be reversed, right? Uh, and I think that's what we're going to have tonight. But here's the first four of the worst things I've ever said. All right. Now, like in bullet points, where I look at them, I'm like horrified just by the bullet points. So we'll see how, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> All right. So um, when I was 13 years old, uh, my really close friend uh, was going through a terrible time in a far uh, away place, and I w- couldn't be with him. Uh, and he sent me an email uh, telling me that he was thinking about uh, committing suicide. Um, my response was to uh, email him with the sentence... If you try to commit suicide, I'll kill you. Now, I know that's almost funny, isn't it? Almost funny. Almost got a laugh. Really not funny, obviously, in reality. Uh, And all I can say is, I'm sorry, I was 13. I understand these kind of issues much better now, and I would not do something so crass. Uh, But that said, only recently is when I did, I think, probably the worst thing I've ever said. Uh, It won't sound like that to you now, maybe. But someone was incredibly sad, and they were crying, and I wanted to make them feel better. They were crying because I'd sung a song about my really good relationship with my father. And uh, I I, I believe they didn't have a good relationship with their father. I directly just said I did, but then I sat down with them and said... I feel your pain. Yeah, exactly. Right, I'm I'm feeling it now. I I am actually, this is a good tragic beginning. I am gradually alienating you all. This is, uh, I guess, a success. We'll we'll carry on to the next one. Uh, So, yeah. Oh, this is almost a funny one. So, in fact, it probably is a funny one, but I feel bad about it. So, uh, my friends uh, announced, uh, well, well, we're ready to announce the uh, the the, birth, conception of their second child and they were sort of eager to, to announce it to all of their friends and they did and I, they, they announced it to, to me and I said oh that's really good because uh, uh, the other day I got a, a letter from the, the NHS telling, telling me that I'm officially unfertile right because I've, uh, I've uh, had a vasectomy and it's been a success guys and it completely took the limelight from them and their new birth. And everybody wanted to talk to me about why I decided at 32 to have a vasectomy uh, and all of that stuff. Uh, so 
Not such a, a bad thing in the big scheme of things. They're still all right. Um, and then the fourth one is a, a famous person that I said a terrible thing to. So I, back in the day, I was at the Student Radio Awards uh, just after John Peel had died. And uh, Steve Lamack was there. And I'm a musician, one of the things I do. And I went up to Steve Lamack and I said, uh, now that John Peel is dead, you're, it's your responsibility to represent alternative music. And then... I looked into Steve Lamack's eyes and I realised he knew John Peel. I was this brash idea that I'd had of like, oh yeah, this is the coolest thing to say in the world. It's actually just like shitting on someone's dead friend. Uh, well, there we go. So uh, that's my first four things. I'm going to go off now. We'll have a, a, a couple more songs and then we'll come on with somebody else who won't be telling you the worst things they've ever done. Uh, I'm going to tell you some more bad things I do later. Uh, hopefully you'll be more drunk by then so you'll be more likely to laugh at the terrible things I've done. And hopefully I haven't alienated you too much at the beginning of the night. But as I said, if I have, it's appropriate. Okay, so our next performer is going to be from Liars League. Now, Liars League is a night. Uh, it takes place on the second Tuesday of every month. Uh, the next one's on the 11th of February. Uh, it happens at the Phoenix Cavendish Square. Uh, writers write, actors read, audience listens, and everyone wins is their, is their mantra, which is a pretty damn great mantra. Find out more about that at www.liarsleague.com. Uh, this is a story called Sweet Tooth by Esther Cleverly, and it's going to be performed by Cliff Chapman, who you can follow on Twitter, at Cliff Chapman. So put your hands together for Cliff Chapman, everybody! Sweet Tooth by Esther Cleverly. I haven't much of a sweet tooth, but I eat sugar for your sake. Ever since sweets came off the ration, I crunch barley sugars between my crumbling molars like glass. I suck assiduously on mint humbugs. At the tobacconists, I always buy a bag of sugar mice with my craving A and daily sketch. Miss Hodgson drops them into the brown paper bag like little pink bullets and seals it with a brisk twist and a brisker smile. Her teeth are white and even. She'll never enjoy your attentions, my love. Unless, perhaps, she's one of those who's had a full set pulled out and replaced with gleaming dentures as an 18th birthday gift. My mother swore by hers. I remember them bared in her bedside glass like a museum relic or a queer fish evolved to be all grin. Mother would not approve of the way I am mistreating my teeth. But mother will never know. She is lying with her dentures under the smooth lawns of Overbury Cemetery. I'm the master of myself now. I'm the house. I can eat sweets and drink beer and go up to town if I want to. Listen to jazz in the nightclubs because I heard Charlie Parker floating out of the upstairs window of the surgery one night walking home. Drink beer 
Because you once said the Noah's Ark did a good Sunday roast and smiled. Drink endless cups of strong sugared tea which makes my lips purse and my tongue shrink from the sweetness like a slug. All for your sake, my love. I remember when you first took over from old Dr. Benwood, the news swept around the village in minutes, quicker than even when the war ended or Lord Standish's colt won the derby in 48. A lady dentist in Miston Bridge, whatever next. The postmistress and Miss Hodgson, who have always been thick as thieves, agreed between themselves it wasn't natural. The postmistress declared that if she had to go all the way to Overbury to have a proper dentist look at my choppers, it was a journey she was willing to undertake. I ought to confess that I had my doubts too. Until I saw you. You were sweet as a sugar mouse in your white coat and cap, which only made your glossy curls seem softer and darker. I nearly said stop when you drew the mask up to cover your lovely lips. But you already had one soft finger on my lower back cuspid and I couldn't move, couldn't speak with the dizzy, dumb thrill of it. You tapped each tooth in turn, murmuring to your nurse, a, a pop-eyed girl from the farms, used to quelling the fears of livestock bound for the slaughterhouse. But I was never nervous, not with your blue eyes to look into. And when you found that first cavity, and the tiny crease between your fine black brows deepened, and you asked for the gas and settled the mask gently, oh, so gently on my face. That was when I fell in love with you. I don't know how many times I've been back to you since. That's a lie, 14. One visit for every tooth on the upper arch. Have another 14 to go. It isn't easy, this slow process of dental destruction. I was never a sporty chap, but I joined the village rugby team hoping that one of the bigger lads would knock out or at least loosen an incisor. The front teeth are always the last to go. They're stubborn and won't be neglected into decaying, unlike the molars, with their wrinkles and dimples where caries can hide. You know that back right molar, which has been giving me so much trouble? You remember everything you told me not to do? <laughs> I did it all, and it was worth the pain. The extra fillings, the noxious sweetness of the gas to gaze at your beautiful face from six inches distance as your warm fingers probed my gums, stroked my tongue. It was worth it. It's more filling than tooth now. Every time I drink tea, scalding hot, far too sweet. It throbs like a bursting heart.
the pain is like a physical tug towards you, back to you. Last weekend, I was lucky beyond what I dared hope. There he was, Thomas Maines, landlord of the Ark, all six foot two of him, striped and sweaty even before we got into the scrum. He doesn't often play for Miston, too busy providing beer for after and keeping his eye on you. Oh yes, I've seen him. Heard him too, talking about the lady dentist. The way a farmer might talk about a prize cow he's coveting or a brand of new tractor. It's not the way to talk about a lady. And I would have told him then and there, but I had other plans. I got to him just before half time. Never mind we're on the same team. Strange things happen on the field. His underparts were unprotected. That was his mistake. Soft and sensitive as a tongue, and the twist of a fist was all that was required. He knew it was me because I looked him in the eye while I was doing it. Saw that animal pain, that dumb beast fury. It felt like winning the pools. He came after me then, and I let him. His shoulder crunched into my upper jaw and, oh, the sweet, piercing agony of it. Two teeth, not one. Both incisors scattered white on the green and my mouth streaming blood for you. My love for you. I expect... I'll need a lot of work done. I hope I will. And I know one of these days I'll dredge up the courage to talk to you, to tell you all I've done for your sake, to cry, I love you, to finally say something more than... Okay, and the last uh, performer from this act of stand-up tragedy is a writer, filmmaker and London bus tour guide who regularly tells stories at Spark London. So put your hands together for Jess Brownrigg! Okay, hello folks. <laughs> Now, this is a true story, folks. This is a, a true story about a, a kind of tragic beginning of mine. Um, it is the story of my first job after leaving university, the beginning of my adult life and work. It's also the story of how I ended up on a bus with his passengers rounded up at gunpoint. Yes. Passengers rounded up at gunpoint and the fear that came afterwards. So... Uh, the idea of 
teaching English abroad, going to some far fun place and teaching the English language. I have to say, these days I feel it's a little, little bit fishy. It's a language that's only important because we have invaded 174 of the world's 196 or so countries. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the whole concept's up for debate, I think. But back when I was uh, finishing university, and I was freaking out about what I was going to do next, and a friend and I saw a poster. Teach English in China. Fantastic. I won't have to think about my life at all. I'll just do this instead. Wonderful. No teaching qualifications necessary, just any degree. Brilliant. I've been doing philosophy and religious studies. <laughs> Definitely qualifies as any degree. So a few friends and I applied, and we were assigned to different schools in the Chinese province of Hainan. China is a wonderful country. It's extraordinary. It is the uh, loudest, liveliest, uh, up for it, in your face place uh, with the most wonderful uh, and kind people as you're ever likely to meet. Unfortunately, as I'm sure you all know, it is governed by wankers. We'll come back to that in a bit. Anyway, I was sent to a school in uh, a really beautiful uh, countryside area of, of Hainan, uh, lots of forest and uh, rice paddies and farmlands, absolutely gorgeous. It was, the, it was called the Hainan Peace Public School. The Hainan Peace Public School. Not very peaceful. Regular events in my primary level English classes included kids throwing shoes out of third floor windows, five-year-olds playing poker, and children setting fire to their textbooks. They love the classes that much, yeah. Now, uh, when I was uh, teaching colours, one day, just to try and get their attention, I resorted, resorted to walking around a classroom with a red bucket on my head, shouting, RED! RED! Just the kids stopped destroying the place long enough to wonder what the crazy fat Westerner was up to. As will also become apparent in a little minute, in a little minute I was going a little bit nuts at the same time as well, so we'll come back to that too. Unfortunately, it soon became clear that all was not well at this school. Uh, the headmaster had run off with all the school's money. Yeah. Teachers hadn't been paid for half a year. A few weeks after I arrived, uh, electricity, water and heating were all being rationed. A few weeks after that, the whole school... Uh, children and staff were being fed nothing but rice and cabbage every meal. I I'm vegetarian, but I'm not that vegetarian. <laughs> As unrest at the school grew, the police came in. The teachers actually threatened to protest about what was happening at the provincial education department. As I'm sure you know, the Chinese government get a little bit uppity about that kind of behaviour. Unfortunately, and inevitably, the school was shut down, and the teachers decided to go ahead with their protest. Now, as much as I really wanted to, I really supported what they're doing, I, I thought this was awful, and I, I would love to have got involved, but I could not get involved at all, because uh, if the authorities saw that a Westerner was involved in the protest, then the consequences to the teachers would be far worse. So I couldn't get involved in this, but, but... The only way, I had to leave as well. I had to leave the school, too, because the school had closed down. And the only way for me to get from the school, in the middle of nowhere, to this city, was on the coach the teachers were taking to their demo. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> About an hour into the journey, 
we uh, were stopped by an armed police roadblock in the village. The police boarded the bus. They ordered the teachers off, off the coach at gunpoint and lined them up against a wall. wasn't clear at all what the police were intending to do or how far they were going to go in enforcing the law. Uh, there was a lot of shouting. There was a lot of shoving and pushing. The teachers were absolutely terrified, clearly, that she, the police brandishing their guns at them. Me, I, I found myself scrabbling for my British passport <laughs> as if my petrified white face wasn't <laughs> already a clue to the police enough not to cause a minor diplomatic incident. Um, all that happened to me, though, was that I was marched off the coach and put onto another local bus uh, going off to the city. So I was sent away, and it was the last time that I saw many of those teachers. I arrived pretty freaked out in the provincial capital of, uh, of Hainan province called Haikou. I was adrift in a Chinese city I barely knew. I was homeless. I mean, I wasn't on the streets, but I had nowhere to live. I had no job. And because the school hadn't paid me or processed my visa papers, I was broke and illegally in the country. Also, I was going slightly crazy on a brand of dodgy malaria tablets that I was taking at the time. A friend of mine on these same tablets went to sleep every night with auditory hallucinations of brass bands marching past his window. <laughs> For me, these tablets uh, sped my mind up a thousand thoughts per second. Each and every thought was that I was going to drop dead right now. My mind was literally like, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, now, 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 for three months. I felt nothing but mortal terror for three months. This was not helped by one panic attack so severe, I was rushed to hospital thinking I was having a heart attack. Also not helped by the city randomly testing their air raid sirens, <laughs> leaving me running around screaming thinking I was going to die in a nuclear fireball. I was also being hassled by the police a lot at this time as well. Um, I was being uh, called into police stations for endless sessions of questioning about why I didn't have a visa, what was I doing in China, and did I have anything to do with the protest? They thought I was some sort of rabble-rouser. So, why didn't I just leave? Why didn't I just go home? Why didn't I just go back to England? Well, firstly, apart from the fact that I didn't have a visa and I couldn't leave because I, I was illegally there in the first place, Amongst all this happening, I'd lost my passport. <laughs> the police didn't like that either. But do you know what? That was the best thing that could have happened. It meant that I couldn't run away. It meant that I had to stay there and face it. I couldn't leave. I had to deal with it. I was really, really, really lucky that I had friends of mine who were living in a city and teaching in schools there, who helped me through this period. I couldn't have done it without them. Um, I actually have one of my friends uh, right here tonight who helped me through this and, and helped me with a whole uh, panic attack, heart attack night. 
So thank you, Matt. Um, so I couldn't have done without them. And it did start to turn around. There was one day when I was walking through a market and I just stopped dead in amazement because a song was going around my head. The whole, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, now, 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 had just kind of cleared up enough. My mind had cheered the fuck up enough for a little song's melody just to kind of be bouncing around my brain. And I tell you what, it was one of the most wonderful moments of my life to kind of see that my mind had cleared a little bit. A few months after that, my passport turned up, handed in by a taxi driver. <laughs> I got a job at another school. They really helped me out. They um, processed my visa papers. They got me a new place to live. Um, and, uh, yeah, a job. And they also negotiated, negotiated with the police to stop giving me shit. And it meant that a few months down the line, I had my act together enough to try and figure out what had happened to the teachers after I'd left them, after I'd been put on the bus by the police, and I'd gone to try and figure out what had happened to them, because I hadn't heard from them. I had no contact from them at all in the whole time. So the, I didn't know where to start, so a friend and I went back to the school that I was first assigned to. We found it a really deserted, really sad, really forlorn, crumbling place. Just a, a ghost of a school, empty of children. And we found some of the teachers living there. They had nowhere else to go. In some ways, they're actually really lucky, in many ways, because the corruption that started the whole thing actually, sa actually saved their skins. The provincial government decided that they didn't want the teachers to go on trial for trying to protest, because that would show up what a shitty job they'd done in running the place. So they were set free with no charges. So that's, that's, that's okay. But they still uh, hadn't been paid. They still had no job. And they had nowhere to go, and they were just literally just stuck in this empty school. They were caught between a corrupt capitalist system that had taken away, taken away their jobs, their livelihoods, and their dignity, and a corrupt authoritarian government uh, that refused to let them challenge the whole thing and just couldn't care less. Frankly, also, I would see that as a situation that is, we're starting to see a little bit more on these shores as well, I have to say. Um, capitalism, corrupt authoritarian government. You know what I mean? Um, so, really, I was really, really very lucky. Because when I got my passport, I could go. I could leave. I didn't. I remained in China for a while. Um, I worked out the contract of my new school. And I would say that I loved most of the rest of my time in China. But when I did leave, I left those teachers still there. With, with nothing and with a very uncertain future. So... It is a tragic beginning, but the beginning was mine and the tragedy really was theirs. Thank you very much. Okay, so, um, yeah, you can find uh, more about Spark London if you, uh, if you check out www.sparklondon.com, which is where I, I first saw Jess doing uh, true stories. Uh, the, the next uh, sort of important Spark London date for your diaries is there's going to be a relaunch called The Best of Spark London on the first Monday of every month, and that's going to start on the 3rd of February uh, at 7.30 at the Canal Cafe Theatre. So... Uh, 
Now I'm going to let you guys have a break. But before I do, I'm going to tell you about, uh, well, basically, I had a bit of a tragic beginning at the moment because uh, in this year for myself, because uh, I'm losing my job in March and I'm having to like work out what the fuck to do with my life. Um, now, what, what I'm going to try and do is, is, is this freelance thing. I don't know. I don't know what the hell that means, really. But that's, I'm going to call myself freelance enough until uh, some money comes. But this has introduced me to the idea of receipts and stuff like that. This is how bad I am suited to be a freelancer. Um, and it's the kind of time of year when people have to, to apparently, I'm told, have to give in, in receipts. So at the back of the room, there's a, uh, where, where you came through, uh, there's a table with a box file on it. Uh, I'm going to put these receipts on there. If you have any tragic receipts that you'd like to cons consign to the, to the box file of history, any tragic uh, true stories or non-true stories that you'd like to share, uh, Write them down, stick them in the box file. There's going to be plenty of breaks and plenty of opportunities to do that throughout the night. Um, and but, but don't write anything down you don't want to share with the public because we'll take pictures of them and put them on the website and include them in the podcast and all that sort of stuff. So you can you can do you can write them anonymously, but you can't sue us now because I've said that. Okay, so uh, that's law, that's legal, that works. Uh, so um, yeah, and also as I said, there's the fanzines are there. Do have a look and consider buying them. They're uh, edited by a fantastic fantastic artist called Liam Wilday who you can find at liamwilday.com and the first, final bit of housekeeping before I really do let you get some drinks and get more drunk so the tragedy can become more hilarious and even more sad is uh, 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 to say that during this break we're going to be uh, showing a short trailer because tonight's tragic beginnings it seemed a good place to put a trailer in for a film that uh, Julia who's just joined the uh, stand-up tragedy team uh, to film our night it's a film that she's got coming up that she's, she wants to share that trailer with you. So we're going to be doing that, uh, but for complicated technical reasons, we're going to be doing it in the middle of the break rather than now, which would have been when I would have liked to have done it. So get some drinks, have a cigarette, go to the toilet. Don't, you don't have to do any of those things, obviously. Uh, and there'll be a trailer in the middle of the break. Uh, see you back in 15 minutes. Bit more drunk. Make friends with some tragedy by friending us on Facebook or following us at Stand Up For Tragedy on Twitter. Our website is www.standuptragedy.co.uk. And we're back with another live night of Tragic Variety on the 13th of February, where we'll be exploring tragic love at the Dog Star in Brixton. Share your tragedies with us on Twitter using the hashtag TragicLove. And for now, the tragedy is over. This podcast was produced by Stephen Harvey with music from Sam Wilkinson and George Buffett.
try.